Welcome, everyone, to Pen Pen Pals for our continued coverage of, what are we watching? Paranoia Agent, Satoshi Kon. Great work. I'm Alex. Hey, this is Blixa. Hey, this is Ben. And this week, we are covering episodes 10 and 11, the penultimate episode of our coverage. So uh, really enjoying that. And this week, we have a new guest we're excited to talk to, Veronica. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, thank you so much. It's good to be here. Awesome. So you're a first-time guest, so you get the third degree, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> gotta, Wait, uh, what does that ask- mean, the third degree? <laughs> Is this just a common expression that I don't? <laughs> yeah, I think it's with. like an interrogation thing. It's okay. like a hyperbolic, uh, uh, like the third degree is probably actually abusing the, the person. Like third degree burn? Actually, that might be where it comes from. I'm not exactly sure. I'm going to have to look that up. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, you're great. Uh, so I, there's a question I always like to ask new guests in that uh, you have a relationship with anime, I assume. Are there any like big shows or movies or manga that really affected you over the years? I mean, you know, when I was young and a teenager and first got into uh, anime and manga, I would say probably like the first anime that I like really, really got into was uh, Outlaw Star. I uh, watched it on Toonami. I was in third or fourth grade when I started watching that too, so that was... That was quite a while ago, but uh, definitely still is one of my favorites. But I mean, these days, I definitely am a huge fan of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Like, it's definitely one that I've started collecting the manga recently, and that's one of those, like, super expensive, like, manga to collect. I also... Uh, oh, really? Yeah, no, because it's all hardcover and, uh, like, really, really high quality and everything like that. And uh, Chainsaw Man's another really uh, recent one that I've uh, gotten into. One that really has affected me recently that I think is like a good, like really good anime that like anyone could watch that's not even like anime fans is um Monster. Yeah. I think it came out like early 2000s. You can't even read. It's like on YouTube. You can't find it on any other like streaming site really, but it's. It's very realistic. It. It's, Is it's, it the one with the surgeon? Yeah, he's on the run from uh, being framed for a murder. I mean, that's just that's just touching the surface. There's a lot more to it. It's uh, like one of probably one of my favorite crime dramas, like just altogether, like overall, not even just like saying crime drama anime, but like crime drama media. Definitely probably my favorite. I, th- I think someone brought that up when you were watching Serial Experiments Lane. I, I forget who, but in my head, I am always like, which one is Tokyo Ghoul and which one is Monster? They like, <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah, no. They're, they're crisscrossing they're, my head. Yeah. They're definitely a lot different. Monster has a lot more yeah. uh, realistic elements to it. Yeah, no, it's just the name Ghoul and Monster for some reason. Yeah. Uh, gets me scrambled. Um, and and do you have any experience with uh, Paranoia Agent? Is this your first watch through, or do you? Um... I've watched it uh, several times. Like none of the episodes in sequence the first time because I just watched them like on Adult, Adult Swim and passing. But um, I don't know. There was some time in I think senior year of high school I really got into Satoshi Khan. I think the first thing I watched of his was Paprika. <laughs> Oh, 
but I had already known about Paranoid Agent, so I like I had it was back when Netflix still had DVDs. I remember because like each DVD had three episodes on it, so I like rent one DVD from Netflix, watch all three episodes, send it back, rent another one. So it was like a whole like three week long experience. But uh, it definitely was one of those that hit me hard as a as a teenager for sure. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before. If you're in the middle of a series and you have to wait for the mail to get the new dvd before you can watch the new episodes Mm -hmm. okay great so are there any anime news or uh murder podcast news that we should know about or i'm uh, I'm ending the murder podcast news uh segment no more murder (laughs) it's nice to have an official endpoint though this will be the episode Gosh, I've been watching a lot of Love Island, which I don't know if if you guys have ever watched that, but it's sort of like what you think it is, but like sort of the next level where it like almost feels like it's like the Stanford prison experiment or something like it. Oh, there are just all these weird twists and turns that, yeah, like feel like psychological experiment or like weird psychological torture. Anyway, it's a Mm -hmm. weird show ethically questionable yeah and and i think even like the british version there have been a number of very public suicides oh so, goodness which uh terrace house had one suicide and they're like we are gonna cancel this show forever and oh my god love what? island just keeping on keeping on yeah okay no no anime news um my only news is i got my computer working nice that's huge news we love it um i do have sad like well, it's Japanese entertainment news, tokusatsu. Um, we missed the uh, the two-day Fathom event for Shin Ultraman. We missed the two-day what event? Fathom. They show like limited run movies in theaters. Shin Ultraman oh. was what, that's oh. how it came to America Aww, for two days. Yeah, the, I want to see Shin Ultraman real bad. Yeah. No, we're not going to be able to see it on the theater now. Well, that's okay. I'll, I'll, as long as I get to see it on a screen somewhere. Yeah. Well, I'm sad. I was looking forward to that. And this isn't that like we were talking about that Anno one that was like Godzilla, Ultraman, Evangelion crossover. Who knows? Not that, right? There's no official crossover. It was just like a marketing thing they did. But oh, it, gotcha. but he he's done all of them. He he wrote uh, Shin Gojira, and he's also he also wrote Shin Ultraman. I don't know if he directed it. Gotcha. Well, Anno was seen leaving the studio for the whatever movie studio it was that does Gamera. Ooh, I would be interested to see that too because you know this is not exactly in our wheelhouse. But Tokusatsu, if anybody's seen the Millennium uh, Gamera trilogy, very good. Uh, a, you know, a real cut above your average um, storytelling. Yeah. Well, everybody, look out for Shin Ultraman wherever you can see it. Last time on Three Ghosts and a Little Slugger, three internet friends decided to meet up and end their lives together. After lots of brainstorming, several attempts to leave the youngest member behind, and some wacky music-backed shenanigans, they realized they were already dead, having succeeded on the first try. While life hadn't gone their way, they realized the cyclical structure of a ghost's existence had given them the family they so longed for. Meanwhile, four housewives, bored with family life, gossiped about the many appearances of Little Slugger. Our mass hysteria cultural phenomenon appeared in a school restroom, a womb, on the baseball field, and even at a rocket launch. Though these stories entertained this group of women, the youngest members' contributions were never quite good enough. 
Under the influence of socializing and abusing Kamohara, the housewives failed to notice a child dressed as a bunny and the misfortune that would soon befall her and her balloon. At home, Kamohara found her husband on the floor, having been assaulted by Lil Slugger. Intoxicated by her proximity to the story, she failed to phone an ambulance and instead accosted her husband with demands to know details about our diabolical Slugger. How many stories can Shonen Bat manifest it? Will we ever return to our main plot? Is the real Lil Slugger the friends we made along the way? Let's find out. All right. Um, three, two, one, play. This is very FLCL. Yeah, whenever I see the like riverbank, Japanese riverbank, I think of FL, and I guess baseball too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so good. This episode is one of my favorites. So this is like a primer on the different jobs in an animation yeah. department, right? That is actually what most of this episode's about. It's also very meta for this show because the show at the beginning was about the girl who created Melo Maromi. So we're actually finally getting to like see them having produced it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if these characters are based on the people who actually worked on the show. I, I 100% believe they would do that. Yeah, Satoshi Khan's always trying to reach the the barrier between reality and art mm-hmm. anyways bizarre episode right we're still not really back to our main plot revolving you know sukiko and little slugger and maybe the detectives but we get a very high concept episode here so this is like elucidating the whole animation process to anyone who's not familiar right like it's showing us all the different people that are in charge of it it's showing us what tremendous pressure they're under to get things done on time and under budget and the whole the whole structure of it is like little slugger is attacking these people but the the process itself the show maromi is consuming these artists to get it out there i will say that that is actually a very um good foreshadowing guess um, I also, okay. uh, have y'all discussed like why the show's called Paranoia Agent? A little bit. Nothing conclusive though. And we'd love to hear about it unless it delves into anything that comes in. Yeah. Uh, so I have not seen any of these episodes before. It, it doesn't, it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't spoil anything. It's more so just about the concept of what the show is, which you, I mean, you've seen it so far. I mean, it's full mm-hmm. of people who experience trauma, guilt, a lot of guilt, and as uh, as uh, the one, I forget his name, but the one detective, he keeps saying that uh, Little Slugger shows up whenever people are fe- feeling cornered. Maniwa, yeah, yeah, the younger one. Yeah, and and another, and, and so when you think about it, Little Slugger is the paranoia that these people are experiencing in their lives, and they let that consume them. And so that's kind of where the idea of the paranoia agent comes in, is that he is literally this like agent of chaos who comes in and like preys on people who are in like a very insecure place in their life the best example is probably also one of the creepiest episodes where um the the runaway teenage girl uh taiko yeah Yeah. taiko she finds out that her father's like you know literally like spying on her and everything like Mm -hmm. that and then runs away from that and is like killed by or like knocked out by little slugger when she's like running away from her father during all that so it's really if the show ultimately definitely hits on a lot of just the the fear and uh the way fear can build up like guilt and trauma mm-hmm. yeah so so what's actually like going on in this episode so it felt like you know it took a while to 
suss it out, but felt like Mm -hmm. maybe there's sort of like three different timelines. So we've got sort of them at work rushing Mm -hmm. to finish this thing. Then that's like interspersed with him driving. So doing like the final leg as they just have to get this tape to the, the studio to broadcast it last minute. And then we're getting his fantasies as he's sort of like almost falling asleep behind the wheel. And like, is it like supposed to be like him imagining if Little Slugger hit all of these people? Well, I always have changing opinions on this because like, like you can see where the fantasy scenes are. Like one of the, the like one of them obviously is when he in his mind thinks that he gets the tape there and they're like, oh, we already found a substitute show. You failed and everything like that. But, you know, mm-hmm. you bring up a good point because towards the end, he himself is shown like killing his boss with a bat. And it makes you wonder yeah. if he's the person who actually like killed all these other people just to like kind of like take the claim and like make himself seem like a good uh, a good employee, even though he's not. See that, that I I agree with that. I think that Lil Slugger may be attacking these people, but not like the idea of Lil Slugger that we're dealing with, the one he sees. I think he is manifesting Lil Slugger. He has the golden bat, and I think he's the one attacking these mm. other uh employees because he's he's getting shit on because he's the gopher. He's the lowest person in the office, and he is taking out his frust- his own frustrations on the other employees. But, but you think that's something that that like literally happened? It's not just him fantasizing about it, but but some of these are like showing the people that he attacked. Well, I <laughs> like think coworkers. I think one, yeah, it's probably a power fantasy. You already saw him literally beating the crap out of these boxes with like a mm-hmm. broom. But on top of that, he he's a very weak person. He's very much trying to show that he knows what he's doing. So whether whether or not he actually killed these people, I think one is just like I think it's just to show the joke of the fact that in the industry, no matter what, they don't care if you're dead. They don't care if you're sick, that you have to get the job done on time. There's deadlines and you have to get it done. And so that's kind of like at the end when he's dead and they're just picking the tape out of his hand. It's it's a very much tongue in cheek observation yeah. of the anime industry. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes sense. And it's kind of funny coming off the last episode, which ended with, you know, the wife not caring about her husband getting attacked or caring more mm-hmm. about the story about like what happened yeah. to him than actually uh, his well-being. And then we see that like over and over again in this episode from the beginning where like, you know, the person in the car accident is paralyzed or whatever. All he needs is to be able to move his fingers. What? He's been paralyzed from his arms down. Are we talking his fingers too? To the very end where it's kind of him lying down, I guess. he. So he got hit by Little Slugger. Yeah, that's what's implied at the end there. Yeah, we got a quick shot of the car and the car was real messed up. It looked like maybe a bad accident and maybe he got thrown out the windshield or something. Mm. But I think, yeah, maybe there's a car accident. But yes, I think Little Slugger is, that's the manifestation of Little Slugger is that he he got hit there. Well, and you also have to think about like how often in the show is Little Slugger like the actual like root cause of certain like accidents because, you know, in a, a good example like like this one he very the, he very well could have crashed the car at the end of that because mm-hmm. of how awful everything was he was like dissociating while driving so it, it very well could mm-hmm. easily be that him splayed on the ground is literally that his car crashed 
and that little slugger was just his imagination because mm-hmm. little slugger so far like all these people talking about him like having like committed these crimes against them and yet no one at the at the same time like no one's actually like really really seen him like it's always always like word of mouth and whatnot so it it, it very much kind of implies that it's like you're not supposed to know whether little slugger is real or whether he literally is just this manifestation of like people's guilt. Mm -hmm. Well, we say that he may be imagining little slugger, but I think that something being imaginary and real are not necessarily mutually exclusive, right? Like in, in this show, you're saying like in the world of this show. Yes. In the world of this show. And I think it's trying to make a point about our reality because yes, there is a difference between something being physically real and something being uh, real in someone's imagination. But I, I, I think that we use reality as a, 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 a too mushy of a term, I guess. Well, think about it like urban legends. Because mm-hmm. that's kind of like what he is. It's like an urban legend. Everyone talks about like something. And like even though the urban legend might not be real, there's always like copycat people. Like they even already did the deal with, dealt with an episode where there was like the one like copycat kid. And they didn't actually know if it was a him or not. But it's just like one of those things where it's like if you like put enough like belief, if you get enough people to believe in something, you can manifest it in some way to make everyone actually think it's real. Right. And like whether there's a copy like for an urban legend, whether there's a copycat criminal mimicking the urban legend or not, the fact that the urban legend is in people's heads modifies their behavior in the physical world. Right. Well, yeah, because they're going to think that it's real and it's going to affect their actions in the way they like see the world yeah and so i would say like that that makes it real whether it's physical that that we can talk about but like it is real because it's real to them oh yeah which is a thing we talked about a lot in serial experiments lane so so one one thing that stood out to me is like this felt like it's the first time you know i guess maybe when um you know little slugger shonen bat saw the ghosts two episodes ago, mm-hmm. you know, he ran away from the ghost, but this is the first time that uh, a living person seems like they've sort of fought back a little bit or they didn't just get knocked out right away. And, you know, I don't know if that was sort of like a bit for this episode or is this supposed to be sort of like his struggle against the like, oh, I could just get in a car accident right now and then it wouldn't matter if I got there late uh, or, yeah. you know, like, like that would show, I don't you know, that would like, like, is this supposed to be him debating whether or not to do that? And that's the fight against Little Slugger? Or, or what did you think that was when he kept seeing Little Slugger behind him and like outmaneuvering him? And tur- turmoil. Yeah, I think you're right. I hadn't thought about that, but that makes absolute sense that it's, you know, it, yeah, it is his struggle against, you know, that want to give in, to give up. So he's like at his limit and just like barely, he's like so fed up with this. He's like barely keeping it together. Yeah. He just wants it to be done with. Yeah. But like the narrative he has in his head, he keeps telling other people and himself, like, I'm not a fuck up. I'm not stupid. Even though we see clear examples of him messing up the animation process. So like, he doesn't want to give in and get into a car accident or give up because mm. he'll be forced to give up his narrative then. Yeah, like you said, he's struggling against Lil Slugger. Um, but ultimately, I don't know if it's 
fatigue or whatever it it does overcome him and the accident happened but he got the tape there in time he did yeah (laughs) and there's another thing so he dies well presumably he's dead on the pavement and then the other characters are specifically said to be dead in this one Hmm. and that's not generally or at least in the past episodes little slugger does not kill people he hits them in the head and they have a consciousness change. They have amnesia or they have a confidence after that or something like something changes about you after a little slugger hits you in the head. But in this one, all the people are dying. And so that's, that's why I think this, uh, this main character in this episode is killing those people. It's a, it's a really good observation. I never, uh, never put that together. Cause you're right. Little slugger doesn't ever like actually kill someone, kill someone. Cause we always see, always see his victims come back to life. Yeah. I also yeah. I also wonder though like how much of it at the same time is just the uh just again going back to the whole like kind of tongue in cheek joke of being like this is just the way the anime industry is if you're dead or yeah. you, or you're you're missing your hands it doesn't matter like that's a, that's the thing is like this anime or this episode specifically almost feels so comedic and just like out of place with like a lot of kind of like minus like having actual like little slugger in the episode it's it it almost feels like it's just like a joke like the entire episode is just a joke towards the anime industry and it's kind of Mm -hmm. hard to tell what about it is actually like all symbolic like this discussion we're having feels like this is what satoshi Kon wanted people to have with this episode is have this discussion but deep down it's (laughs) it's really just a joke he's just he's just laughing at us i think he wants us to ask questions about our own reality Mm. I, I I did love the you know like as long as his hands can work he can write and then it's like he's paralyzed and they're like all ten fingers <laughs> yeah he's paralyzed from the arms down which is not a thing we usually hear right yeah I guess oh, yeah. you well now you can yeah you can get that we hear neck down or legs I guess down, that's right? true. so arms but, down but is like, a bizarre like wrist down or something like that yeah exactly well, I think there's uh there is and there isn't a consistent uh golden bat. That we've been seeing i feel like mm, every time okay. we see golden bat there's a slight difference but there's still a script that follows so in this thing like we still have the consistency of the main character needing a divine win some kind of deus ex machina intervention uh but what's different is i feel like golden bat is manifesting this time as the man's delusions i think he was mm-hmm. going around killing everybody but then whatever's going on in his head like kind of made it start becoming real which I feel like it is like the meta meaning of this episode. Well, and he he even like like you said he, he even killed his coworker with the golden bat too. So there was like that whole imagery and the episode the uh, like the cartoonish Mellow Maromi episode how the kid himself has a golden bat. Yeah. So I don't know that Maromi and golden bat little slugger i don't know that they're wholly separate entities we've talked a lot about how sukiko has in one way or another created both of them but in this episode particularly it's not just little slugger that's manifesting through this this gopher this main character like when he trips over the electrical cord and messes up someone's work he's wearing maromi (laughs) slippers it's mm-hmm. the Maromi slipper that messes up the job. I think the Maromi yeah. pillow makes him fall asleep. <gasps> and then he's he watches the Maromi thing before he gets a lot of his delusions. I don't know. Yeah. So maybe Maromi yeah. is oh, <laughs> the, somehow behind all of his. The rear view yeah. mirror charm was swinging like a pendulum. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that, well, that makes me wonder too, because like I said, the one of the posters specifically says Maromi, the healer dog. Mm. And like with the whole idea of whether or not Maromi and Little Slugger are like separate entities, like I feel like Maromi being the healer dog, quote unquote, could almost represent kind of like a duality between the two of them where Maromi is, I don't know, try, prevent it, tries to prevent um, Little Slugger in some way. Mm. Oh, well, Lil Slugger is also, in a weird way, trying to heal people, Mm -hmm. hit them in the head to cure them of their emotional corneredness. You know, it's like a surgeon, kind of. Like, you have to hurt someone in order to help them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I do wonder, I mean, and I, I don't know if this fully makes sense, but I'll just say it out loud. Yeah. Like, I think this series, all these people have these deadlines, they have these imminent things that they're like really stressed out about. Right. And it's like ruining their lives, but like none of it is actually like life or death stuff. Right. And so then when they get hit by golden bat or whatever, you know, it's sort of like, well, that, that thing sort of evaporates, right. There wasn't actually this deadline that they thought there was, it wasn't that big of a deal. Life goes on and they are fine. And, and so is it sort of like, the golden bat or, or, or little slugger somehow like reminding people that their problems aren't as significant as they thought they were or something like that. Uh, and that's, that's like why they feel relieved afterwards. Yeah. You hate your job. Well, you could, it could always be worse. You could be dead. Yeah. You could get hit in the head with a bat. Or, or like, <laughs> you, you know, you miss a deadline at your job and like, maybe it's not actually that big of a deal. Yeah. It will be okay. Absolutely. I, th- I think that's something that we could all stand to be told uh, uh, now and again in our, you know, capitalist society where like production is such a, a thing that's focused on and like deadlines. Yeah. The only other thought I had for this series was I really like the use of the Maromi merchandise mm-hmm. to illustrate how this job, this process, this show is taking over their lives. Because like it starts with there's a couple of Maromis in the the office that they're working in. And then the guy from the agency where Sakiko works, he comes by with these Maromi pillows. And by the end of it, you know, the main guy is wearing a Maromi face mask. He has Maromi slippers on. And we see on like every shelf, there are multiple Maromis all watching them while they work. And it's just chilling. Yeah. No, I, 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 that is definitely something I love too. Cause like as cute as Maromi is supposed to be, Maromi in a lot of ways and in different scenes can be just as scary as Little Slugger. Yes. Well, I think we're at about an hour. Do we want to move on to 11? Yeah, sounds good. No other uh, big thoughts for this episode? Mm-mm. All right. So let's queue up 11. We'll go to 1 minute 30. All right. Um, three. Two, one, play. Oh my god, that just twisted my brain. Yeah. Not not to put you on the spot, but Blixa, do you wanna try to summarize that episode oh or uh, ramble about what was going on? Okay, so uh this is about the chief's wife. Well, the chief and his wife. Mm-hmm. The chief got fired from the police station and is doing this Mm -hmm. construction job and got demoted to the lowest station with a criminal. Meanwhile, 
he has this wife who seemed like they she had a terminal illness and mm -hmm. was starting to fit that profile where gold and bat would show up as the divine wind the kamikaze to solve a problem but she knew about golden bat and the mo and was sort of playing with his manifestation uh, and presumably knows all about golden bat from being married to the guy investigating and then it seems like things went weird so the illness that i guess she was going to have an operation for maybe had to do with i don't know it said she had a weak constitution which implies that she's frail she probably has anemia like it's it's that's just like an all-encompassing term that a lot of anime use for characters who are just sick, like a generalized term. They'll like they'll say like, oh, she has a weak constitution and whatnot. Um, so at that point, the old partner shows up. The old partner is somewhere, like it seemed like an assisted living kind of place, hears about <laughs> the Maromi show airing, freaks out and takes off. And at the end of the episode, shows up at his old partner's house. And there's his wife seemingly still sitting where... This whole either real or mental conversation was happening with Golden Bat, but the husband hasn't shown up. And the husband was off mm -hmm. in the imaginary, like children's book land, playing out the role that he really wished he had been doing. Mm. He created his own fake world. But what happened? Why, why was he just working security at a construction site? And then, oh, is that the, then the show aired? And then he flipped into being. Oh my God, he found the Maromi keychain. And yes. that made him vulnerable to the Maromi Golden Bat effect. I think that's true, yeah. And then the show aired, and now he's delusional or something. So when you say the show aired, Mellow Maromi. When the TV's on the ground in the house, or. I mean, yeah. everybody, if you, if you watch, if you like pay attention to the episode, any TV or anything that, mm. ha that was on in that, sh in that episode, had Mellow Maromi on it. And that, that's kind of a, a theme you'll notice, like just like after that episode where it was after episode 10, like you'll notice like Maromi is just literally even everywhere in the town. It's just like, you know, how even the wife said, oh, you're the same as that Maromi thing. Like just as like, you know, everyone's talking about little sluggers getting bigger, his appearance is getting different. Like he grows physically in front of the detective's wife. Mm -hmm. And like I said, she compares the two of them. But Maromi also is everywhere in that episode. So it's just, you know, it's it's definitely there's some parallels between them there because they both start showing up more and getting stronger at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting. At the beginning, they were saying, you know, oh, Golden Bat, he's gotten older, stronger. Um, and we also saw the young detective, Man is it Manawa? Is that his name? Manawa. He's running around in an outfit sort of like that of... Um, the guy in the video game was sort of wearing yep. like a suit like yeah. that. So I was like, well, oh, oh, this golden bat character. He's like older now. He's like an adult because like Manawa's like taken over for him or something. Well, and if you remember, there was that. Yeah, because that whole episode where they uh, are playing the fake video game, like, you know, the detectives just falling around. Manawa's straight up like reading a whole like guidebook because mm -hmm. that's the last episode where you really see them on the police force was when they were uh, interrogating the copycat. And then then they both get fired. And the security or the uh, detective goes and does the security job. Meanwhile, Manawa 
is so interested in the way that this game represents like the different deaths going or the different like incidents going on. And he kind of just like seems to just kind of take on that energy and become like a video game character himself. Hmm. So, so I assume like Ikari, the older of the two cops or detectives, you know, he lost his detective job. Now he's working these construction jobs. And so he, to support the same lifestyle that they had previously, seems like he's working all these different jobs at these different sites. Yeah, he's got a triple shift in this episode. Right. And, and, you know, so he feels like he has to do this to support his wife. But then we're learning that actually now his wife never sees him and feels kind of abandoned and like, you know, isn't sure if he's just working all this to avoid being around her. And then, you know, maybe by the end of the episode, maybe he is working like this because to avoid her and I don't know, like her disease is progressing and he can't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, if you notice, there's a whole bunch of symbology, like during the whole conversation between her and uh, little Slugger, because one, uh, Blix, I think it was you that mentioned the flowers asking if they were symbolic of death. Like that was a good point because, you know, at the beginning, when little Slugger gets there, you see the flowers and she's talking to him, and then she starts talking to him about how she, she's like, sit down, I want you to listen to me. Then all the flowers disappear. And the next time the flowers come back is when she's talking about how her husband never comes home and how she thinks she's, like, kind of lost him in a way, and the flowers temporarily come back. And then, like, sl- little Slugger's, gonna, like, about to take advantage of that and, like, kill her. And then the flowers suddenly go away because, you know, she suddenly decides, you know what, I'm going to get the operation and I'm going to take better care of myself and whatnot. And on top of that, another symbolical thing, which I still haven't figured out what it means, is the way the entire scene's portrayed. Because minus the few, like, scenes where they show a little slugger's face, you mainly just see a door and a doorway where you through the doorway you can see her talking a little slugger but then through the other Mm. the closed door you just see the silhouette like an obscured version of him and he's as he's like having to sit there while she's talking yeah but definitely as as she is sort of leaning into despair or despairing more that's when you see a little slugger grow and mm-hmm. sort of like yeah. the more down and dark she gets, kind of like the bigger he gets and the closer he gets to to attacking her. And yeah. And then he does swing, but it's like a glancing blow mm-hmm. off of her forehead, right? Yeah. Like it looks like she's not really affected. She just has a little bit of blood. And so maybe that's like she has considered suicide a lot or just letting her body decay, I guess, not getting operations and stuff. But ultimately those thoughts have only left a fleeting mark on her. It's not the core of who she is. And and in part, right, that's because of the the support that Akari gave her and, mm. you know, like, you know, telling her to never get too down and dark about herself and how she's affecting him and makes her promise never to, like, you know, lose sight of reality. Mm-hmm. But then he's the one who ends up not being able to take it right and and kind of loses sight of reality at the end of this episode. Yeah, it's it's bizarre that I, I think he's having a hard time dealing with uh, her disease because one, this isn't the first time he's done it, but he goes to a restaurant with the burglar, right? Mm-hmm. The His coworker. He does three shifts in a row where he's running from one job site to the next. And then he doesn't go home after that for dinner. He goes out. Um, and even after that, he is wandering through this fantasy world 
So there is something keeping him from like, he's supporting his wife financially, but there's some sort of emotional or presence that he's not giving her. And, you know, we would think that that would be completely debilitating to her, but she tells us over and over in her story, I trust him. Like I accept the way he is supporting me and I don't get to dictate that way, but like it does mean the world to me. You know, I feel like one, one way when you look at it, like he has worked three shifts, his two options here, go have a drink with this buddy that he just made or go home to his wife who is mm-hmm. crippling and dying. Escapism is very common in situations like that with trauma. You're not going to want to stick around with that. You're going to want to do what you can. So not only does he go sure. out and drink with his buddy, he uh, then goes into his own fantasy world. Because keep in mind, like him and his buddy leave the restaurant, but then his buddy just disappears. It's just uh, Ikari there in the streets by himself whatnot. And the only other thing that's like realistically animated that he finds is that uh, Maromi keychain again. Mm. On top of that, like he chases a thief in that fake reality and everything. So it's kind of showing you that he lost everything. Like not only is his wife dying, but he was this great detective like on the force. And there were several times while he was on the force saying that like maybe he wasn't cut out for it anymore. or Maybe he's too old for this job or stuff. But it was it's clear that that job meant everything to him. So him losing that job and then also having to like find like extra shifts to support his wife have brought him to this brink of just exhaustion where he's just like basically dissociating into this fantasy world. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I kind of wondered if that whole scene, because the the thief had mentioned like the thing about he was this thief with the burlap bag on his back. Right. And then in the mm-hmm. fantasy, that's like what we saw was like him chasing down this like thief with a, a bag on his back. So I kind mm-hmm. of wondered if it was like, you know, they went out, got dinner And then he had the choice, oh, I can go home and see my wife and face reality, or I can stay out here with this guy and get drunk with him and like talk about like the good old days back when I was a cop and you were a thief. And like that was the choice was to kind of like sink into nostalgia and smoke Mm -hmm. and drink and talk. Because that's the the smoking thing, too, is like that's a big symbolism with him is because the fact that he... uh, you know, he wasn't even smoking earlier on. Like Manawa was like, like pointed out to him when he first got like that same pack of um, matches at a restaurant with that other guy. I forgot what his name is. The the disgusting dude who's uh, Taiko's father. Like he started smoking then, like towards the like end of of trying to figure out the case. And then in this scene, he also smokes again. So obviously, cigarettes are kind of like a way of him escaping his own reality. So there was a montage, right? There was a commentary on escapism. It was uh, all the different people watching the television program. Mm-hmm. Yes. What was the whole content of that, um, the, the monologue for that section? Wasn't it criticism on escapism? Yeah, because that's that's what that's what his wife was trying to talk about was coming home and facing the reality. Like, because she kept talking about, you know, not letting fantasy, not letting escapism control you but just coming home and facing the reality of what life is, because that's the only way you're going to build up strength to it. That's the only way you're going to be able to work your way through the shitty parts of life is if you stop trying to act like, you know, it'll just go away and just face the facts and work towards it. Yeah. And I think it was coming, she's talking a little slugger and saying like, 
you think you're saving people. You're not saving people. You're just like this temporary distraction. You're yeah. you're just like watching a TV show. Like, yeah, it's just escapism, but you're not actually helping people solve their problems. Maromi's message is take a rest, like not deal with things. Take a rest. Which in some ways I think is a really healthy message. I'm like, we should all probably be taking a rest. I don't think that's what Maromi means. You know, <laughs> when people are asking too many questions, Maromi says, take a rest. And Maromi's uh, okay. on all these thousands of television screens, just distracting people and entertaining them to death. Mm-hmm. No, and then it's like it goes back to the whole thing with like uh Maromi and Little Slugger being the same entity almost because they help people escape but in different ways. Like Little Slugger grows and gets bigger because people fear him. Meanwhile, Maromi gets big because everyone knows about Maromi because it's on his kids' TV show and everything. But they're just like they're two forms of escapism. Little Slugger is a way for people to take incidents and their life and their own personal guilt and turn it into someone else uh, having caused it. Meanwhile, Maromi is causing people to escape the realities by distracting them. And like you said, looks at taking a rest. So when the cop found Ikari finds the Maromi keychain, and he has to decide to pick it up or not. I think that's when he was doomed. And there's that funny yeah. scene when he sees the animator walking in to presumably watch the air of the first episode. He shows it to her and it dangles again, but this time it's looking down and to the left and it looks like ashamed mm. or something. Well, she also looks very like confused or embarrassed when the guy like calls her out like that. Yeah, I feel like the artist knows that Maromi's bad news and that they're just minutes away mm. from this thing. And, and I guess maybe she knows too that her case is like, why this guy is working security now. Like maybe she... Yeah, I think you're onto something, Ben. She is pretty directly the reason he lost his job. Yeah, and she has guilt about that or shame about that. That's that's a good point. Yeah. I never noticed that before when I was watching that before. Yeah, she probably... She's uncomfortable when he points, points out how cute the Marumi doll is because she is aware that he work, him working a security job is pretty much her fault. Yeah. So I'm seeing two contrasts in this episode heavily because of you beautiful people and the things you've said. One is that, so yeah, Maromi and Lil Slugger, one is fear-based, one is like distraction or, or, or fantasy-based. I mean, I guess they're both fantasies, but so from our perspective, you know, the consumers of Lil Slugger and Maromi, they are ways to not deal with our problems. From like an authoritarian perspective though, like they're both methods of control, mm -hmm. right? Like little slugger is controlling people's behavior to an extent because they are living in fear. And then Maromi is also controlling people's behavior. You know, maybe you've got a lot of stressful things in your life, but you're going to take the time to tune into Mello Maromi. Yeah. It's like TV as the opiate of the masses kind of thing. Absolutely. And then the other thing is, I noticed I, I had to go back to look at it, but Maniwa, yeah, at the beginning of the episode, he's hanging around outside of what seems to be a doctor's office waiting room or a hospital waiting room or something. There's a bunch of people in the office watching a interview of Sukiko. But the reason he's there is because Ikari's wife 
is there. Mm-hmm. She's walking out of that doctor's office. That's where she's having the the doctor tell her, you need this surgery, but it costs this much. And she says, well, we don't have that. And then he also shows up at their house later on. Mm. So there's this contrast between Ikari and Maniwa. Ikari is out there supporting his wife by working three shifts, like overworking himself at this job. But Maniwa is the one who's actually present there. Well, and Maniwa, if you remember, Maniwa is the one who came up with a theory that this little slugger shows up when people are cornered. And, yes. and so that's the thing is, like you said, he was there. He saw that she told the doctor that she can't afford the operation and went back home. So he, even though he didn't rush to her house like he has in other episodes where he's rushing to find a little slugger, he still shows up because he knows that she is cornered and has the potential for little slugger to show up there. Yeah. And, and this little outfit that he's not little, but this outfit he's wearing, this kind of costume He's becoming this character. He's he's lost his job, but he's really leaning into his purpose. He's like, I don't care if someone's paying me to do it. I'm going to find Lil Slugger. It incorporates an aerial, you know, like a little radio antenna. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that's, and we got, he was the one broadcasting the, the warnings about Lil Slugger to the populace over the radio. I wonder if that's supposed to imply that he's kind of listening in on people. Mm. He's like, picking up these yeah. transmissions and that's how he's staying on the case, trying to find where little slugger will pop up next. Well, I, I the only thing I will say about that. Cause I didn't actually think about how that might be him. Like listening into the crimes, but uh, mm-hmm. the name, the name of the next episode kind of gives you a hint into like his actual, like the, who he is now as a character. What's the name of this one? Oh, this one is called no entry. Mm-hmm. Which is, we get that sign over and over again mm-hmm. uh, in Ikari's work. Well, and and uh, his wife is the like first person to kind of stop a uh, little slugger from like committing his crime. Hmm. That was wild. Ah, yes. Like, she doesn't just stop him. She gives him like a fucking monologue, like echoey voices. Mm-hmm. And she everything. messes like, with him goes, too, and it works. Yeah. There's also, I guess, famously, no exit is like a... Uh start play so i think the line hell is other people (gasps) oh my god yeah 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 so no entry is the flip of that right Mm -hmm. and maybe that's a reference to it and if if hell is other people heaven is also other people right that's that's where you find these transcendental realms is in your relationships with other people life can be amazing if the people around you treat you really well or it can be hell if your relationships are really strained i think the antithesis is heaven is animals Oh, yeah. okay. yes yes 100 so maromi sure. oh uh, no no not that one <laughs> well again there's that contrast between maromi and uh lil slugger maromi is the much more it's still a fantasy world but it's a much softer kinder fantasy world it's heaven and lil slugger is hell he is the swift hand. He is the kamikaze, the swift hand of the universe, reorienting your perception. Mm-hmm. Okay, speaking of perceptions being reoriented. So the episode they were working on was that kid, like Maromi was talking to a, a kid who was playing baseball. But then like there was also a scene of like a real kid and Maromi talking to the real kid and the baseball bat rolls into the river. Like that's when it, turns into the weird frames and 
Well, that's the anime that they're working on. That is the first episode of Mellow Maromi is Maromi meeting this young baseball player. And I think in some ways that baseball player is Little Slugger. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Keep, keep in mind who created both of those characters yeah. in the anime. It was. Yeah. And he's Little Slugger at the beginning of his existence or career. He doesn't have skates yet. The bat isn't bent yet. Mm. Something happens to Little Slugger, maybe, like the story of. Oh him. my God. Wait, okay. hold up. The animator created an origin story for Little Slugger. That first episode of Mellow Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to process that. Pretty great. And is that why we saw, like, the animation looked, I thought it was showing us a real world thing and then it devolved. I think it was cheap. It was like chibi style the whole time. So I assumed that it was all part of the show. Yeah. No, any any of the scenes with Maromi actually talking are all part of the actual show. All right. So, so at the beginning of the series, you know, she was trying to work on the next hit character. <gasps> is that supposed to be for the show or is that supposed to be for something else? Like, is this little kid with the baseball bat? Is that? That's not the real question, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> no, I th- the, oh, my gosh. With that and reference to that, it's the whole idea that, like, she made this one mascot. They want her to make another mascot. It's kind of like going back to like Hello Kitty and Sanrio. Yeah. You know, Hello Kitty's not the only character. They had Hello Kitty and then they created other mascots. Cause if you're going to make a corporation, you're going to make like an, an image or something like that. You have to cre- keep, you have to update it constantly. And so it's like, yeah, Maromi just came out. They want, want her to create another character for the next big thing, essentially. Yeah. So the studio oh wants specifically but- another property, but what, could potentially be communicated is that there was a demand for the next big thing that was going to consume the minds and imaginations of the country. Yes. That's brilliant, Ben. Thank you for Wait, I don't that even way. understand. Like, <laughs> so she's under pressure to create a new character. Yeah. None of the sketches she's making are working for her. And then the little slugger attack happens. She sketches a thing of little slugger and that's the right. character that takes off. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it goes along with the theme of little slugger that you get what you wish for, but kind of a monkey's mm. paw effect. You don't get it in the same way you, you thought about it. The universe will provide, but you have no idea the ramifications once you have what you asked for. Yeah. I don't think they were just precise enough about what they're asking for. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you need you really need a lawyer to look over your wish before you give it to the genie. Maybe maybe that's why the world is so messed up is we've made these super powerful corporations that are just manifesting their monkey pop wishes left and right. And oh, I thought you were gonna go on like a psychological level that we have these <laughs> desires for what we want, but it's not really what we want. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, there's that too. Yeah. Well, and I mean, uh, something I always think about is uh the anime Chainsaw Man actually brings this a uh, good point to this, which is the more you talk about something, the more power you give it. Mm-hmm. Sure. So the more people talk about something like Little Slugger or something like Maromi, the bigger it grows, the bigger it gets, the more uh, all-consuming it is, essentially. And that that that's for all ideas, right? Like mathematics, mm-hmm. right? It has more reality in our world the more we uh, uh, talk about it and think about it and give to it. I don't know about that one. I'm a, I'm a math fundamentalist. I, I think yeah. it exists pure in the world without humans. 
None of that pre-calculus stuff, just good old basic math. <laughs> there well, we go. It, it does. I agree with you. It does exist. It's fundamental laws of the universe, but like it has to be for it to be useful to humans. It has to be expressed in a language we can understand. We can't just access the truths of the universe. We have to conceptualize it with symbols, numbers, things like that. And so the more we talk about math and, and, and discover about it, the more influence and power it has in our lives and, and, and the more power we have over it. And you're saying in that way you're talking about at the beginning where it doesn't need to be, something doesn't have to be physical to be real, but just kind of the more you live in people's minds, sort of the realer a concept is. Exactly. Is there any other anime show that talks about these things? Serial Experiments Lane has no, a lot anime of these shows things. like our show. <laughs> oh. oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Podcast, sure. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Sorry, I, I, th I thought I thought you meant other, other anime. No, I don't know any uh, other podcast. I mean, that is probably that's one of our questions too. So, if you have any, do you have any recommendations for anyone who's really enjoying Paranoia Agent or or the kind of this style of show or, or just something in general you think more people should watch? Oh, yeah. Um, obviously, you guys already did Serial Experiments Lane. Definitely a good one for something mm. like this. But if you're really into stuff that's um, like symbolism and like just heavy on the like, just, you know, you keep watching it because you want to understand everything that's going on. There's this really old show. Um, it's called Revolutionary Girl Utena. And it's kind of, it, it's not your typical, like, you know, magical girl type thing. It's by this one um, author who did a bunch of other uh, really good stuff. Uh, Chiho Saito, I think is his name. But either way, it's it's very queer. Like, if you are someone who's in the queer community, I definitely would um, recommend it because it has a lot of uh, lesbian themes specifically. But pretty much every, it's one of those animes that you have to pay attention to because every single little detail means something in the show. Mm. And it has also just a lot of like different deep themes of like trauma, um, running from your past, good versus evil, stuff like that. And also uh, gender roles. Like that's one of the biggest mm. things of, uh, about it is gender roles, which is one of the main reasons why I love it. And it has a... Uh, actually has a follow-up movie called The Adolescence of Utena that serves as both a remake but also kind of a sequel. Um, and it really mm. plays with that whole role reversal that I was talking about. And uh, in that same vein, the same director who did that, uh, Kunihiko Ukihara, he's uh, it's pretty well known because he worked on Sailor Moon. But he, um, he also created another anime called Penguin Drum that has a lot of uh, symbology and themes of like trauma and family and loss and stuff like that so those uh, those that was a long way of me saying that my two recommendations are revolutionary girl Utena and penguin drum awesome uh and then if people want to find you on the internet do you do anything do you stream make youtube videos appear on other podcasts is there any place for people to find you i do not do anything anymore i used to do drag and other stuff, but I just kind of have uh, fallen out of the public light just uh, just for my own well-being and stuff like that. Okay. But be a good person, be kind to animals, donate to local shelters. I would like to maybe take a short moment to say my um, precious baby boy Wilbur just died 
Mm. earlier this week. I actually had a wet witness. It was the first thing I saw when I woke up in the morning. So um, if I was who's Wilbur, he he was a cat of mine. Oh, yeah, he he was my therapy cat. And it was very difficult. But I just want to take that to say, like, you know, give back to the earth, give back to animals. Like, you know, we're 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 all in this together. Uh, Donate to you know your local shelter or something like that or mm-hmm. just do what you can to make the world a better place thank you okay ready yep pen pen pals take, take a rest take a rest that's gonna be terrifying that's so all right take a rest take a rest good we'll stop there